Welcome to the Word of God. I'm Father Reed. Today we're going to be looking at proper 27. Proper 27. Now there are only 29 propers. Then we begin Advent and I'm going to explain all of that as we get closer to the end because the 29th proper is about Christ the King Sunday. You may or may not have ever heard of that before. Proper 27, proper 28, proper 29. Proper 29 is Christ the King Sunday and there's no proper 30. We begin the new church calendar year with the first Sunday of Advent and we'll be looking at that in several weeks. In proper 27, in the Old Testament, we'll be finishing up with Ezra and Nehemiah and then we're gonna go to 1 Maccabees. Now, Maccabees is in the Apocrypha. I am not going to give a lecture on the Apocrypha. The Apocrypha is about 13 or 14 texts written in Greek. It's called the LXX. Written in Greek, it's called the Septuagint. LXX is the Roman numerals for 70. Written in Greek and came after the writing of Malachi, which Malachi is about 400 BC. But the church, not all the denominations accepted the Apocrypha. Now, 1 Maccabees is actually a historical book, but is not part of the canon, C-A-N-O-N, part of the Old Testament canon. And so we will not be studying that. Some of you might have a um, Bible that has the Apocrypha in it, and I would suggest reading it, but I don't memorize it for, sake, for the sake of the Word of God because in the Anglican Church it is not received as the Word of God but as a supplement to the Word of God but not the Word of God. In the Roman Catholic Church it is seen as the Word of God. In the New Testament today, as you will see on your screen, you see the scriptures listed for the week. We'll be looking at Revelation 18, 19, and 20. Revelation has 22 chapters, and we're getting toward the end of Revelation. We'll be looking at those wonderful chapters. And then thirdly, in our journey with Jesus, we'll be looking at Matthew 15 and 16. Well, we turn to Ezra, one more chapter in Ezra, Ezra 10, the people's confession of sin. People's confession of sin. Verse 1. While Ezra was praying and confessing, weeping and throwing himself down before the house of God, a large crowd of Israelites, men, women, and children, gathered around him. They too wept bitterly. This is the beauty of confessing your sin before the Lord. There is weeping. You and I are sorry for our sins. We confess them. We pray and ask God for the forgiveness of sins. A proclamation was issued throughout Judah and Jerusalem, verse 7, for all the exiles to assemble in Jerusalem. And then within three days, verse 9, all the men of Judah and Benjamin had gathered in Jerusalem. Verse 11, make your confessions to the Lord God of your fathers and do his will. Seek his will, do his will. Separate yourselves from the people around you and from your foreign wives. So he's giving them information about how to go forward in their faith. Remember I said last week, what Ezra's going to do is instruct them in the ways of the Lord, in the law of the Lord, in the obedience of the Lord, so that the people might regain their statue that they had lost because of the previous sin. In Nehemiah, we look at chapter 9, 
Nehemiah 9 is really, really good. Nehemiah 9. The Israelites confess their sins. Now, I could spend our whole time just talking about Nehemiah 9, but I won't. If you have never read Nehemiah 9, it's one of the great chapters in the Bible. I highlight it as one of the great chapters in the Bible. And those of you that have not read it before, you're going to love it. And those of you that have read it before, you're still going to love it because it's, uh, it's one of those wonderful chapters where the Israelites, again, are going to confess their sins. Blessed be your glorious name. That I, that blessed be your glorious name and may be exalted above all blessing and praise. Verse 5, verse 6. You alone are the Lord. You made the heavens, even the highest heavens, and their starry host, the earth and all that is in it, the seas and all that live in them. You give life to everything, and the multitude of heavens worship you. The greatness of God. And then he talks about how great he is and what he did for them. It's always good to be aware. What has God done for you? You gave them reg reg regulations and laws that are just and right and decrees and commands that are good. Verse 13. You are a forgiving God. You are a forgiving God. Gracious and compassionate. Verse 17. Slow to anger and abounding in love. For 40 years you sustained them in the desert. Verse 21. They lack nothing. God, you took care of all their needs. They sinned against your ordinances by which a man will live if he obeys him. Verse 29. Now, the ordinances you have given us, O God, the commandments and the laws that you've given us, if we will obey them, we will live. By your spirit, you admonish them through your prophets. The prophets came and told us what was wrong and admonished us and corrected us. But in your great mercy, you did not put an end to them because we had sinned against you or abandoned them for you are a gracious and merciful God. Now, therefore, verse 32, O our God, great, mighty, and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love, do not let all this hardship seem trifling in your eyes. In all that has happened to us, you have been just, verse 33. You have acted faithfully while we did wrong. And as he says at the end of verse 37, we are in great distress. It's important to see where we stand before God. It's important to see how great he is and mighty he is. That's why I love the Old Testament. It gives us a picture of God that's very, very important. It's very, very significant to see. We need to rejoice in the Lord and we need to thank him for all of his promises and all of the good things that he brings us. He alone is God and he is the one we praise. And when we do not do what he says, we need to repent of our sins. Let's turn to Revelation because the last several days were about Maccabees. And I again said and remind you, you might want to read Maccabees if you can find a book, a Bible that has the Apocrypha in it. And it is an historical look. But um, like I said, many, many Christians do not believe it is the word of God. Revelation 18. Now we go all the way back to the, all the way to the end of the book. 18, 1 through 8. The fall of Babylon. Babylon the Great. She has become a home for demons. Verse 2. And a haunt for every evil spirit. A haunt for every unclean and detestable bird. Beautiful language. Great poetry. Talks about sin. Talks about the dangers of sin. And the problems of sin. 
Babylon the Great, Babylon full of fantastic power, and talked about how God is going to bring woe to the city. Woe to the city in verse 15. Woe, O great city, dressed in fine linen, purple and scarlet, glittering with gold, precious stones and pearls. In one hour, verse 17, such great wealth has been brought to ruin. Now remember, ladies and gentlemen, the person that's in charge of everything is the Lord our God. He is in charge. We are not. He governs history. It is very wise to submit to him, to love him, to serve him, to know his ordinances, to know his commandments, and to follow him with the grace and mercy of his Holy Spirit. With such violence, the great city of Babylon will be thrown down, verse 21, never to be found again. And so the judgment of God is real, and the wrath of God against sin is real. And chapter 18 gives you a very powerful, beautifully written uh, chapter in response to that. In chapter 19, 1 through 16, chapter 19, 1 through 16, we see some positive news. Whereas in 18, it was very much negative. In 19, it's positive. Hallelujah. Verse 1, salvation and glory and power belong to our God. For true and just are his judgments. We just talked about the judgment of God in chapter 18. He has condemned the great prostitute who corrupted the earth of her adulteries. He has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Hallelujah. The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. Hallelujah. I like saying that. Verse 6. For our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. The wedding of the Lamb, the bride. The angel said, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. Are you invited to the feast? The testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. One of my favorite texts in Revelation, I really do like Revelation, is chapter 19, 11 through 16, which is your reading on Thursday. I saw heaven open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one but he himself knows. That's fascinating. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him. He commands the greatest army of all time. He's riding on a white horse. He's dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. Back to judgment again and wrongdoing and not doing what God says. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. He is carrying out God's wrath against those who have been unjust. On his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, another name, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Obviously, this person is Jesus. The most powerful person in the history of the world, the commander of the greatest armies of the world, the judge of all the earth, the one that we are going to have to stand before on Judgment Day. Again, brothers and sisters, it is extremely wise 
and highly suggested to you today as you listen to this podcast that we would fear the Lord and keep his commandments, do his will and submit to him. In chapter 20, one through six, which is your Saturday reading, I saw an angel coming down out of heaven, having the key to the abyss and holding in his hand a great chain. He seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss and locked and sealed it to keep him from deceiving the nations anymore until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be set free for a short time. Now, do I know when that is? No. Do, does anybody know when that is? No. Does anybody know how that's exactly going to be played out? No. There's lots of speculation. There's lots of guesses. No one knows, absolutely. There's lots of different interpretations of this. Only God Almighty knows. What do I need to take from this, Father Reed? That Satan, the devil, the ancient serpent, the dragon, all the same, will be subdued, will be destroyed, will be chained. His power is limited and under control by the power of the Lord. You and I are the victors. Satan and his followers are the losers. Matthew chapter 15, Matthew 15, 1 through 20. Now, what we have going on now, continued ministry of Jesus, about probably toward a little bit more than 50% of his ministry left, and he is teaching, and he is preaching, and he is doing miracles. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. You know what that is? That's from Isaiah 29, 13. Matthew loves to quote Isaiah, loves to quote the Old Testament to show what kind of person Jesus is. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men. So Jesus is looking for a relationship with you and me. He's looking for a relationship with us, an intimate one, a close one. The things that come out of the mouth come from the heart, and these make a man unclean. Jesus is not concerned, as he says in that verse, verse 18, what goes into your stomach. He's concerned about what comes out of your mouth. Out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what make a man unclean. But eating with unwashed hands does not make him unclean. Again, a teaching of the Lord. Think about what he's saying. Think about the impact of these words and the power of these words, the significance of these words. 1521 to 28 is the famous healing of the Canaanite woman. Woman had a daughter who's had a demon that possessed her. This woman went and sought Jesus out. Jesus did not want to help her because she was a Gentile. He was outside of the Jewish territory. She says, Lord, help me. It's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs, verse 26, 27. Yes, Lord, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. Brilliant. Jesus then feeds the 4,000. Remember last week I talked about him feeding the 5,000. He does it again, this time the four. Seven loaves and a few fish. People sat on the ground. He feeds them again. Again, as I asked you last week, who's feeding you? How are you nourished? How are you surviving an, 
daily onslaught of the world, the flesh, and the devil. How are you dealing with the power of the devil that we saw in Revelation 12 and Revelation 20? How are you dealing with him? Great question. Chapter 16, the demand for a sign. The Pharisees and Sadducees just didn't understand what Jesus was doing. And he talks about the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And then the confession of Christ. Who do people say that I am? Well, some say Elijah. Some say John the Baptist. Some say Jeremiah, one of the prophets. But who do you say that I am? In the end, it's all between Jesus and you. Jesus and me. You got to stand before him. You got to give an account. You got to tell him what you believe. Who do you say that I am? And Peter answers positively. And then finally, at the end of the week, Saturday, proper 27, we have Jesus predicting his death and Peter encouraging him that, no, that's not going to happen. <laughs> Never, Lord. This is not going to happen to you. Jesus turns to Peter and says, out of my sight, Satan, you are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of man. And then he talks about denying himself and follow, denying ourselves and following Jesus. What good will it be if a man gains the whole world that forfeits or loses his soul? What can a person give in exchange for his soul? Love that scripture. What does it profit a man gain the whole world and lose their soul? Obviously rhetorical. There's no way that anything in this world is more important than your soul. There's no way that you could give anything up for the value of your soul. Your soul is the most valuable thing you have. And your soul united to Christ is God's will for you today. Once again, I hope that you see the value of reading the scriptures, of reading these lectionary readings on a daily basis. As you look at these great scriptures of confession of sin in Ezra and Nehemiah, the continued beautiful language of Revelation 18 when we look at the negative and 19 when we look at the positive and back to 20 for the negative and the subduing of Satan and then the ministry of Jesus and all the wonderful things that he says and does. And we reflect upon that and see where we are in the context of our relationship with him. God bless you and have a wonderful week and I'll be back next week for the Word of God.